to live our lives in accordance um, with you and your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we want to have a measure of respect and fear, holy fear, as we come to your word, understanding that whatever you have revealed to us, what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, it's all by your grace. It's all by the work of your spirit, and thus we want to receive it because we know it's your best, your will for us. So, Lord, give us help right now. Uh, give us discernment. Lord, we pray that this scripture um, this morning uh, would, be a, would be a point of just sharpening our hearts and our minds, um, our spiritual senses to you, and that you would use it in our lives in a powerful way today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let, let's get a bird's eye view here. It's going to help us understand this passage better. But Matthew's purpose in writing his gospel, one of his primary purposes, is to show that, in fact, Jesus is the Messiah, God's anointed, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that he, in fact, is the coming king. He is the Messiah. And he's been showing us this in a variety of ways in terms of his lineage, his genealogy, his baptism, his temptation. He's the greater Moses. He's the more faithful Moses. His teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And we know that from Matthew 5 through 9, this is when Matthew is showing us um, up close and personal what this coming of the kingdom is like. Jesus's powerful teaching his inaugural address, so to speak, about what it means to be children of the kingdom. We've seen his healings, his miracles, um, all these things. Matthew is kind of garnishing together, gathering together to make this compelling case, the fact that people should acknowledge and that this indeed is Jesus, the Son of God, God's chosen, his anointed, his Messiah. Now, what's happening here in chapters 11 through probably 16 is Matthew is wanting to, to show us um, people's responses to this evidence, people's responses to who Jesus is proclaiming himself and showing himself to be. And all of it is going to culminate in Peter's confession uh, in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, well, who do you guys, who do you say that I am, Peter? And Jesus says, and Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus um, affirms this and says, Peter, you know this because my father revealed it to you. And all of this is meant to uh, compel us as a reader to say, who is Jesus? Now, what we have here in Matthew 12 is the curious case of the religious leaders because their unbelief is um, is astounding in light of everything that Jesus has Jesus has been doing and and Matthew is putting a spotlight specifically on the nature of their unbelief the nature of their hardened hearts so we see Matthew 12 opens up in the first couple of sections Jesus is sparring with them about the nature of the Sabbath and 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 we understand that the Pharisees had a particular religious interpretation that went beyond what the Old Testament would say. And Jesus is disputing with them. He's showing them how they're con contradicting the Old Testament by the way they apply the Sabbath. Um, but this comes to a head when they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? 
so that they might accuse him. So they're trying to entrap Jesus. And Jesus says, if your sheep fell into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not rescue it? Why wouldn't you do good for your fellow man? And he proceeds to heal this man who had a withered hand. Now, what's interesting about this, it says that, look at verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now, this is, I think, pivotal for understanding what comes next. Because here, the Pharisees have been given one more demonstration of the power of Jesus. It is unmistakable. It is clear. It is um, indisputable. It's obvious to all that something has been happening, that there a miracle has been done, that power has been demonstrated. And But the Pharisees um, are conspiring against him to destroy him. Why? You look down in verse 22. Then demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him. And so again, another demonstration of power. Um, and, and people are asking, can this be the son of David? Now, here we come to verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. So in other words, yes, we acknowledge the power of Jesus. Yes, we see all this stuff that's happening, but it's really not him. It's really Satan. It's really the devil. So Jesus was showing them all these signs. They were attributing it to demonic power. And of course, Jesus shows them how ridiculous this reasoning is by using this illustration of can a house divided against itself stand? Can Satan cast out himself, okay, or his minions by his own authority? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and Jesus shows them what a ridiculous thing this is. Now, what Matthew was building towards here is that the Pharisees have no excuse for their attributing uh, the power of Jesus to the power of Satan. In fact, and, and, and we're going to see this later in Matthew towards the end, I think it's very obvious that the Pharisees know exactly who Jesus is. They, they see his power. It's unquestionable. Um, the evidence is obvious. They even know in their heart of hearts that Jesus is who he says he is, but yet they refuse to obey. They refuse to acknowledge and there's multiple reasons for this that we see throughout the Gospels. Part of it is that their standing was going to be threatened. Their power was going to be threatened. They were going to have to give up control of their, um, of their position in, in Jewish society. They were going to have to repent. They were going to have to change. There's a lot of reasons, okay? But what makes the um, unbelief of the Pharisees particularly egregious in this context is that not only are they rejecting something they know is blatantly true, but they are in fact attributing it, okay, this power, to Satan himself. And it is to this, look back in the text, verse 31, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And obviously this text has been a consternation of, 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 to many. You know, have I committed the unforgivable sin, Pastor Paul? 
oh my gosh, I've cursed Jesus. I know I have. What if I, what if, what if I'm sin beyond um, forgiveness and those sorts of things? And I think it's what's what's really important to understand here is that if you are asking those kind of questions, if, if in other words, if the Holy Spirit is pricking your conscience in that way, that's a great indication that this is not applying to you. Okay. Um, the Pharisees were so hardened in heart that they could not, or, or they, they refused, they would not listen to the Holy Spirit anymore. They would not acknowledge the blatant, um, obvious power of Jesus. And because they would not, then it became a situation that they could not. So in other words, um, God, because they were denying the power of the Spirit, they were attributing it to Satan, um, God says, I'm just withdrawing my spirit here. You've blasphemed the spirit. You don't want the spirit. I'm thus going to remove the spirit. And it's ultimately pointing to this idea that this is the ultimate form of rejection of Jesus. And so, so this sin against the Holy Spirit, I think, is nothing less than the ultimate rejection of Jesus himself. People who simply refuse to believe even though they see the obvious work of God's grace and mercy and power all around them and they refuse to believe because um, the cost is too high or because of the claim it's going to make on their life and so it's the ultimate rejection of Jesus that I think that Matthew was pointing us to in terms of what is the unforgivable sin and so you see here this here in verse 36 the scribes and Pharisees, uh, teacher, we, we wish to see a sign from you. Again, we may say, well, why didn't Jesus cause fire to come down from heaven? I mean, he did everything equivalent to that, right? He was healing. He was doing miracles. He was feeding the 5,000. He raised Lazarus. But yet, what do we see over and over? That the religious leaders refused to believe, attributed his work to the work of Satan, and wanted to destroy him. And this is what Jesus is saying um, you are uttering a final rejection of me. You've committed the ultimate blasphemy of the Spirit. And so um, I'm leaving you to your own ends. And the reason, and Jesus said, here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a sign. Okay, I'll give you a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Look at verse 38. Um, As Jonah spent three days in the body of the fish, I'm going to spend three days in the body of the earth and rise again. Now, and we talked about this, um, I think maybe during our Good Friday service, and we're going to come to it again in Matthew 26 or 27. Again, we're seeing that at that time, the Pharisees knew without a shadow of a doubt because the guards told them that Jesus had risen from the grave, but yet they continued to want to suppress it. They continued to want to um, um, uh, counter it and not submit their lives to it. And, and again, it shows the degree to which the human heart of its own accord will go to remove itself from and harden itself from the authority of God and the movement of his spirit. This is why Jesus says a tree is known by its fruits. And so, so even the resurrection of Jesus fails to convince them. And this is what we would deem the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the ultimate rejection of Jesus Christ. Now, as a believer, there's certain things that we can learn from this. We can pray, God, 
Help my heart to be continually tender towards you. Father, help me to be sensitive to the work of your spirit. Father, help me not to harden my heart when I feel your conviction. Lord, help me to always maintain a, a posture of submission to you and your word. But a lot of times when you've heard me say this before, when people are struggling, I take that to be a sense of great encouragement to them because that is an indication that the Holy Spirit is alive, is working, is fighting against sin and the darkness. The person we're most concerned about is the person like the Pharisees who does not care, who has hardened their hearts, who wants nothing to do with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, they, they, they wanted to have something to do with the, the tradition of, of their fathers, the tradition of the Old Testament, but they wanted nothing to do with a personal God, a personal Messiah who would make a claim on their life. So that's what I think we have going on in Matthew 12. It's a tragic story. It's a heartbreaking story. That's why we pray for God's sovereign Holy Spirit to break through hardened hearts and lives. It's what we saw yesterday, remember, in Matthew 11. No one, uh, you know, verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And we pray that. That is what we pray. God, show yourself for people who refuse to believe, who are intent on not believing, who want to find reasons for rejecting you despite evidence, all evidence of the contrary. God, could you break through even to those hearts? So there we have it. Matthew chapter 12. Now what we're going to find in Matthew 13, Jesus is going to give a parable, an illustration of why some hearts respond to the gospel and others don't. And what has to happen in order for that heart to be activated by the word of God. So that's tomorrow, same time, same station, Matthew 13. But let me pray. Father, um, we, th we are thankful. I am thankful for everyone who's tuning in right now, who's peering into your word, who wants to know more about your truth. Um, I, I'm thankful, Lord. I believe that is, a, that is a sign, an indication of the Holy Spirit at work in their hearts. And Father, I pray that we could take great comfort in that, that even when we are struggling, that's an indication that you're alive and working. And so, Lord, we do pray for those in our lives that we know who soon seem to be just hardened beyond help, who refuse to believe, who refuse to bow the knee. Lord, would you be gracious to them? Would you be merciful to them and break through and reveal yourself? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great day. Same time, same station tomorrow.